0: I'm Paul Tyler and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books and TV shows in their entirety. This week we've been watching Lars von Trier's 2011 drama Melancholia. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole plot of the movie. We will ruin it for you. So if you haven't already seen Melancholia, go away and watch it now. Then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right. On with the show. Lars von Trier can be described as many things. Controversial, groundbreaking, extreme, a provocateur, misogynistic, a manipulator, a Nazi. No, I really wanted to be a Jew and, I, and then I found out that I was really a Nazi. What can I say? Um, I, I understand Hitler. And some of these might be true and others are definitely not. He's not a Nazi. He's just uncomfortable at press conferences and ends up saying the wrong thing. Uh, uh, um, that was also a joke. Um, how can I get out of this sentence? <laughs>
1: oh Lord, please don't let me be
0: There is only one fact as far as von Trier is concerned, that he and his work are honest. That is sometimes uncomfortable for audiences to watch and a lot of the time makes for a difficult and unusual working atmosphere for actors. Paul Bettany? Nicole Kidman and John C. Reilly have all been on the record describing their experiences of working on a Von Trier set, Bettany in particular stating that he had a terrible time making Dogville, so much so that he can't watch the film, even though many believe it to be his best performance. But this honesty in Von Trier's work has come with some acclaim, in particular with his 2011 film, Melancholia. The second film in the Depression trilogy, which is sandwiched by Antichrist and Nymphomaniac parts 1 and 2, Melancholia starts with the end of the world and rarely gets much cheerier.
2: I want us to be together when it happens. Maybe um, outside on the terrace. I want to do this the right way. You better do it quickly.
0: Charlotte Gainsbourg is here, as always, this time with a cast of household names, Kiefer Sutherland, Charlotte Rampling, John Hurt, and Kirsten Dunst. Do
2: you know what I think of your plan? I was hoping that you might like it.
0: I think it's a piece of sh**. Some find that the film puts on the screen the incongruous nature of depression and the frustration of those living around it. Others describe the film as an ordeal, that they've subjected themselves to watch it and that it does nothing to entertain.
2: I'm scared. We all are, really.
0: And if it does nothing to entertain, then Lars von Trier may well feel like he's done his job.
2: Life is only on Earth and not for long.
0: Later in the show, Andy is taking a very personal look back at his youth and the movies which lifted his spirits. But first, joining me to ensure that the endings are fully explored is a man that is just short of genius, Andy Goulding, and a woman that is so polite that even when she swears in emails, she uses asterisks. It's Rachel Burnett. <laughs>
2: hello. hello.
0: Hello. 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 So,
1: Andy, Melancholia. Laugh a minute, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly compared to some of Last One's other films, it is. yeah, I found it a lot, uh, a lot easier to to get on with. I'm I'm not really a big fan of Lars von Trier, but I can always see what he's what he's aiming for, I think. And uh in the case of Melancholia I think he, he hit a lot more of his targets than I usually think he does. I mean it's obviously a very a very tricky uh, subject is is looking at Depression through kind of the the prism of the end of the world as a as a big metaphor. So it's it's a very ambitious project. Uh, but I think it's it also strikes me as quite a personal project. I know Lars von Trier himself has had a lot of issues with depression, and uh, watching it myself, I've had a history of depression as well, and uh, it it did strike some chords with me as well. Well, no, so so in that, I mean, when
0: you say that, you know, there are some triggers in there. Did you find it in any way? Comforting or helpful, or did you, you know, did you think, "Like, well, crikey, I want to stop watching this because you're bringing back some bad memories."
1: In in a way, I, I found it comforting because I mean, it's it's good to see up on the screen things that you recognise and that make you think, "Okay, I'm not the only one. I've uh, I've experienced this and I've experienced that." I also found it a little. It didn't chime exactly with my experience of depression. I don't know if if other people would would feel differently, but I found that it, it veered into certain areas uh, that sensationalised the condition or kind of uh, took it towards more cliched film views of it. So, so Rachel, how did you feel about this? Was it was
0: it an ordeal for you to watch or?
2: Um. In a way, it kind of was. Um, I don't know what we're like in this team, but I also have history um, of things like that as well. And actually, I don't think it reared into cliche that much at all. I think maybe I've known people who have been that depressed that they've been unable to get into a bath to even lift their foot into the bath and um, have been that bad. and I think it was incredibly hard to watch when you recognise that in yourself. Harder for me because I was seeing the effect that it had on her family and the people around her desperately trying to almost bargain with her to get to be happy, to be well. And, um, and it's, it's strange when you've been in that position where you're so wrapped up in what's going on with you and you don't want to hurt the people around you, but you're kind of aware that you are. And um, to see it from everyone's perspective like that, it was eye-opening and, yeah, uncomfortable. At times,
0: mm. yeah, yeah, uncomfortable. But I really like this film, and it was my suggestion. And I think yes. you know, I think we, we should always declare when we have a suggestion, don't yeah. we? I, I've, I certainly pointed the finger at you two over the uh, <laughs> over the past <laughs> series. Um, and ag- again, you know, as as, as, a, as another member of this team, maybe it's something about the team. But you know, there, there's a history. I have a history, uh, a, a recent history uh, of depression as well. And this is you know, it's not me keeping up with the Joneses with the team. This is you know, <laughs> playing top trumps. Um, uh, but it's you know, it, it's there, and maybe you know, there's a little bit of that there in everybody. Mm. And this subject needs talking about, you know, and I, I think we've yeah. all perhaps been a little bit anxious about how we're going to approach this uh, particular episode. Uh, but, uh, you know, with, with a, a, a spile of good humour, we'll be fine. <laughs> so, um, so, but Lars von Trier's work—I mean, have you, Rachel, have you seen any of his other films, or, or any any other maybe in this series, or heard much about him in um, the past?
2: No, I must admit, I do tend to avoid him. <laughs> um, I've seen bits of it, and I think it's just a bit too raw for me because mm. I'm so incredibly sensitive. And um, I've seen bits and pieces of it. A friend of mine's a huge fan of Lars von Trier, and I've watched sections and just gone, "No, it's not for me." And um, you know, the handheld stuff, the shakiness, yeah. it makes me feel quite seasick. And it's, it's just so too raw. It's just too raw for me.
0: Mm. Well, let's pick up on that a second there, though, because you talk about the handheld stuff. And I've seen a few people criticising for it, certainly in this film for it. Um, but I, I felt there were, there were parts in there where with the handheld camera, certainly, at, say, the wedding reception, where I thought it was quite good because I felt mm. like a guest at the wedding. I felt like yeah. I was, you know, it was, it, was, it was filmed in a way where it felt like you were walking around and seeing what was going on.
2: Yeah, no, I actually, much as I've just moaned about it, (laughs) I actually think it was very effective in that scene and it gave that sort of sense of claustrophobia and um, disjointedness and for her especially, and I know what it's like when you're feeling depressed and you're anxious and you're in this room and there's all these people and it's all moving around and it's all a bit fast and spinny and so I get it from that perspective, but I know that also he used that shaky handheld thing, so the actors didn't have anywhere to focus, they were never quite sure. Where's, where's the camera? So they could just be themselves and not be acting to the camera and yeah. posing. And I think that definitely came across. I thought it was very, very powerful and very effective, much as it made me feel sick. I thought it was very good.
0: Yeah, we heard in the, the intro there about his, his unusual methods, you know, with, with actors and things like that. And I know I, I did see a, an interview with uh, with Kiefer Sutherland that said he just threw 20 years of acting experience out the window uh, because there's no technical point to hit. There's no, you know, mark for the, for the camera and that kind of thing. It's just off you go. Crack on with it. And, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of actors, certainly from the Hollywood studios, that can't handle that. This is a man that works out of a compound in Denmark, an actual compound. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he shuts himself away off from the world. And, and, and that's, you know, one of the ways he deals with it. Um, now, let, let's sort of flip ourselves back to, a, a bit to the beginning. Now, the opening of, of this film, I think, is I, mainly, I think, it's fabulous. After seven minutes, I think it's quite... Come on, get on. Come on. <laughs> Where's this going? Where's this going? But I actually think it's there for a very good reason. Now, I know uh, I've I bumped into you at a Stuart Lee concert before. We? Yeah, we, we've yeah. been to see him at a live stand-up and that kind of thing. And Stuart Lee puts the bad Daily Mail quotes on his posters or from The Sun to keep people that won't like that kind of thing out. I think that's exactly the, the, this kind of thing. If you If you've got through that seven minutes... Then you, you're going to perhaps enjoy the rest of the film, whereas you
1: know it's, it's Andy. Describe the the opening for us. How do, how do you feel about it? Um, well, I mean, it's it's images of of what's to come throughout the film, but they're they're very kind of artily shot images, uh, very very beautiful, set to classical music. But I mean, for me, what what it did was it gives you because where where the plot goes, we should say probably up front is the end of the world, and. Uh, It gives you that right off the bat you know where we're going and for me that put me in the mindset of thinking everything was futile and it puts you in that kind of depressive mindset that you need to be in to really share the feelings of the characters in the film Uh, so that was what I felt he was trying to do with it. I, had, I immediately thought of uh, other films that were heavily reliant on images, like God- Godfrey Reggio's Koyaanisqatsi, which is just images all the way through and is amazing. And uh, to a, to a lesser extent, Terence Malick's The Tree of Life, which came out about the same time as As Melancholia and was often compared to it. I actually got a lot more out of Melancholia than I did out of The Tree of Life. And in a way, I I kind of I was sorry to see the the end of the opening section because. In many ways, I think it's the strongest part of the film. And I don't think he could have sustained it for the entire film, but I, I think it, it was a, re- a really strong opening. It put me in the right mindset for it, not that it was one that I necessarily willingly went into. And uh, and it really kind of, it's, it's a real shock of an opener. And then instantly after these beautiful images, you, you get this, this kind of dirty smear of a title screen, which is just... An incredible juxtaposition, uh, but for me, kind of uh, said it all. It said, "Here's here's kind of the the beauty of the world and kind of the the dirty dog end of the world <laughs> yeah. in in one go." And, is this a world that we really want to hang on to?
0: And then, and then, it cuts into a scene in a stretch limousine uh, where it gets it gets stuck on the way to the wedding reception. <laughs> and actually, I mean, I, I found that, I did find that quite funny. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was quite you know the the only bit of humour you're going to squeeze out of this. But actually, you know, there, 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 there was something there, something there, very much so. Um, so that then brings us to part one, uh, as it's called, and Justine, and really, really focuses uh, on Justine and her her struggle. Um, to be civil at her own wedding, doesn't it? And I, I think that that sort of focus on Justine, it it never ends. It really never ends through, throughout the film, even in part two, uh, when the title comes up of, of Claire, it still ends up being about Justine. This is very much uh, about like you like you said, really, uh, Rachel, about you know the the, the person uh, that is drudging through, and she really is drudging through uh, the, the, this sort of series of, um, of de- depressive episodes, I, I think you would call it. So. All of that focus being on Justine, what did you what did you think about the the character? I mean, was there anything did anything likable about her?
2: I no, see. Now I didn't find her unlikable per se. There was an interesting um, forum on the Internet Movie Database where people had mentioned how annoying she was and how much they hated her, and I thought that was so harsh. And somebody no, I bet that "Was asked, by men, wasn't it?" Um, it was really divisive. <laughs> honestly, it was a bit of bit of both. And um, what was really interesting, and somebody posted a question that I really wanted to ask, and I was glad that they had. It was a two-part question. The question was, one, have you ever suffered from any kind of melancholia or depression? Two, did you like this film? And then it's like, and did you like the character? And um, it was strange because the ones that had experienced depression or melancholia had so much more empathy for Kirsten Dunst's character as I did. I mean, yes, she from an outsider who's never experienced any kind of depression you think gosh she's so selfish she's so self-absorbed and she's at this lavish party and just like her family just like kiefer sutherland who said right i've bought you this mm. you have to be happy now that's the deal as if it's that easy i can just buy your happiness that's the deal um and everyone's trying to sort of deal with her to make it right i'm going to buy you this beautiful vin this beautiful was it a Field or something with out an where, orchard. Yeah, yeah.
0: Where they're going to put their house? Yeah, new house, and yeah. it's like,
2: well, I've I've got you this. That's going to make you happy, and but it's just not that simple. And she's not being particularly selfish or annoying or brattish or spoiled or anything like that. She is depressed and it's not that simple. And I felt, I really felt for her. I actually thought, yes, okay, she has some elements of the unlikable about her, but you have to have some empathy with that condition and what's going on in her head. It's not easy. Plus, you know, when you get to the second part, she's already saying, I knew this was coming. So she's living with that idea that the end of the world is coming So, Mm. yeah, I know I had a lot of empathy for her, actually.
0: I think Kiefer Sutherland was brilliantly cast. I mean, you picked up there about Kiefer Sutherland. I thought he was brilliantly cast in this. I thought he played this role absolutely superbly. But um, Charlotte Gainsborough is in... well, every is it? It's almost in a contract, isn't it, to be every Lance, uh, Lars von Trier film? For a start, Rachel, could you believe they were sisters? They don't. They, oh no, no. no,
2: that was rather silly because one was very English, well, French actually, but English accent, <laughs> and um, and one's very American, so it's very odd, and they don't look remotely alike, but it's not about that. I thought actually that the sister relationship was very well drawn. I am one of two sisters. I am the youngest sister and I'm the one that's had depression issues and my sister is the one that pretends not to have any problems at all. <laughs> um, love her to death, but yeah, she'll always try and make the best of everything. And she is the one, my sister as well, that would, if I was getting married, she would organise everything and it would be perfect and beautiful and amazing. And she's she's very much like that. She's very much like Claire. Um, but Claire is just so desperate to to make her sister well, to make her happy, to just have this nightmare done with and to just tie it up in a little bow and put it in a box and go, that's dealt with. And it's just not that simple and she just can't get a handle on it. And it's, it's so much more, I know she's an elder sister, so there is a carer aspect going on. But she just wants a normal sister, I think. And it it really doesn't sit easily with her at all. She's got her little timetable of this has to be done here and that has to be done there and make sure you throw the bouquet there and they will dance there and they'll do this. And um, it just doesn't work like that. And I really, I do feel for her. And in the second half, when it's more on her, I do find some empathy for her actually because that frustration is so intense for her. And I think when she finally realises what's going to happen... Her distress is, it's palpable. I was really, when she was sobbing at one point, I was really feeling it. I thought she was really, really well done. Mm,
0: to when she, when you mean when she uh, finally discovers that, you know, mm. the, 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 the planets yeah. are going to collide.
2: Yeah, when, when she has that little strange contraption and the thing actually <laughs> starting to come towards her and I thought, oh my God, it's actually coming towards them. And, you know, she really did, that sense was really, I just thought she acted it so beautifully. And it was very raw, as it should be for Lars Von Trier. Probably why she, he puts her in everything because she is very good like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, she does. She does raw. She uh, does <laughs> uh, very, very well. Um, but the, the surrounding cast as well. I mean, there were there were little oddities inside inside the film as well. There was a man that every time he walked past Justine, just put his hand over his face and just she walked away. Did, walked in, yeah, walked in the other other direction. But it happened a few times, so it just seemed to be even more sort of bizarre. There were a few little oddities. Uh, it, it, you know, in there, if you know, I've seen it a few times now that uh, you, you can sort of pick up on. Um, and like I said at the top, Lars von Trier, you know, he gets called a lot of names and a lot of labels. Uh, misogynistic has certainly been pointed at him in, uh, I think in the case of Antichrist, it was, you know, people were thinking that. And there's an element of that here as well, where, uh, you know, sort of Justine goes out and, you know, takes her clothes off by the lake and that kind of thing. And there's just that, you know, that whole scene, you think, well, that could have been done without that. You know, I, you know, I found it, quite unnecessary you know i'm no prude but he really you know
1: quite unnecessary really um andy yeah well i i the scene that that i that really kind of rankled with me was the the scene where she has sex with the boss's nephew on the golf course i mean i felt beforehand the the depiction of depression was was very well done particularly like the kind of anxiety of trying to keep of appearances in in a public situation especially one where you're going to be center of attention your own wedding but then this this moment where she she just has this this release where she has sex with i mean i think she she sort of sees him as a kindred spirit in a way but it's also just a kind of moment of, of raw feeling of just doing it to feel something and that's that's what I felt was kind of a cliche which which stood out this idea that that I've seen it in so many films that people who are, who are depressed just will always impulsively act out sexually in this way because they just want to feel something good and it, it didn't really fit with the rest of the film for me. I mean, I don't know how you guys felt about that. but That's,
2: that's really interesting. I didn't see it as anything sexual. I saw it as a control thing um, oh. because she was being controlled the whole day. Everybody was telling her where to be, what to do, including her husband. And then she thought, no, this is the only way she can get control. She knows she's beautiful. She knows she's sexy. She knows this guy's following her everywhere. I'm taking control. I'm not going to sleep with my husband. I'm going to take control. I'm going to sleep with this guy so I have some power I don't think it necessarily had to be sexual but I, th- I saw it as a control thing rather than a than a sexual thing but I understand what you mean they do use that a lot in films
1: Yeah, I absolutely, mm. absolutely see where, you, where you're coming from I mean, the, I think one of my favourite shots in the whole film is there's a, a moment sort of at the end of the wedding where the chairs are all stacked up as you see them and and you see justine just sat on top of the chairs and it's very much like she's just another piece of the furniture Mm -hmm. who's been put away stacked up with the rest of the chairs at the end beautifully put andy um now later andy's going to take a look at how movies
0: depict depression and which movies lift his spirits that's after this short break Now making a podcast isn't expensive but there are some costs we need to cover and to be honest it would be nice to have a few quid to keep us supplied with coffee and cake. Now you can help us out by visiting our webpage spoilerpodcast.co.uk clicking on the donate button and giving whatever you think we're worth. Uh, Alternatively if you're planning on buying anything from Amazon if you do that via the links on our website we'll get a few pennies each time. That's spoilerpodcast.co.uk Or you can help us out for free and get yourself an audiobook of your choice by signing up for a free 30-day trial with Audible via the link on our website. Audible have the world's largest selections of audiobooks, including Wagner, His Life and Music by Stephen Johnson. You can cancel your membership at any time within the 30 days and you won't pay a penny, but you do still get to keep your free audiobook. Just go to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and click on the Audible trial ad on the left-hand side. We get a few quid each time someone signs up, which will help keep our producer, Johnny, supplied with tattoos and body piercings. Now, back to the show.
2: You're not even halfway through yet.
0: I'm trudging through this. So welcome back to Spoiler, and this time we're discussing Lars von Trier's 2011 film, Melancholia, which... uh, Well, it's no giggle fest. Now, as we've discussed, the main feel of melancholia is the subject of depression. Can films be a much-needed diversion or even a solution to the problems of the mind? Andy has been doing some soul-searching to find out.
1: During my late teens, I was diagnosed with a mild form of depression and lived with the condition through the majority of my 20s. While the resulting feelings were by no means a constant, and were generally manageable, when they were at their worst, the debilitating emptiness, loneliness and fear felt anything but mild. Sometimes the idea of having to perform simple tasks, see other human beings, or even answer a telephone, was enough to bring on bouts of anxiety. More than anything during this period, I felt an overwhelming desire to be understood. A big ask, considering I didn't even understand myself. Too afraid of the stigma to turn to real people, I initially looked to films for evidence that I was not alone in feeling this way. As a dedicated fan of cinema, surely the glowing light in the darkness of my own private screening room could illuminate me with regards to the creeping darkness in myself. I was surprised to discover then that the silver screen seemed to struggle with accurately portraying the broad spectrum of depression in all its complexity. Perhaps finding little I deemed cinematic in the milder forms of the condition, Filmmakers had always seemed to either trivialise or overstate the reality, often peppering it with sensationalist and insulting extremes. The two depictions of depression to which I was most drawn were at opposite ends of the scale. At the one end was my hero, Woody Allen, whose nervous neurotic characters dealt with their obsessive despair through a series of hilarious one-liners. I feel that life is, is divided up into the horrible and the miserable. Those are the two categories, you know? The, uh, the horrible would be like... um. I don't know, terminal cases, you know, and blind people, you know, and the miserable is everyone else. At the other end was Max von Sydow in Ingmar Bergman's Perfect Winter Light, a man whose depression has almost literally paralyzed him and whose short but devastating performance is a glimpse of the beast at its most terrifying. But while they both struck a chord, neither of these depictions of depression rang a bell of recognition. failed in my quest to find myself among the figures on the big screen, I opted to lose myself among them instead. I was delighted to discover that the right film had the power to take me out of myself for two hours and let me forget the numbness that came with the intermittent arrival of the black cloud. Invariably I would turn to the sweet confections of old Hollywood in those dark times when a technicolour comfort blanket seemed like the logical way to drive away the greyness. I immersed myself in Michael Curtiz's The Adventures of Robin Hood.
2: England, in the gallant days when history hung on the flight of an arrow or the slash of a sword.
1: Roused by the boisterous music and invigorated by the swordplay to the point where my ennui gave way to a boyish desire to leap from my chair and mimic the thrust and parry of the players on screen.
2: Good swordsmen,
1: good archers, good fighters. Are you with me? I chuckled along to the rat-a-tat dialogue of Frank Capra's It Happened One Night, a comedy romance so exquisitely light and breezy that my sunken heart couldn't help but be awoken by the tune its barrage of gags played on my ribcage. Do you love my daughter? A normal human being couldn't live under the same roof with her without going nutty. She's my idea of nothing. I asked you a simple question. Do you love her? Yes! But don't hold that against me. I'm a little screwy myself. Perhaps more than any other film, I turned to Stanley Donan's Singing in the Rain. The title seemed like an apt metaphor for finding joy in the midst of dampened spirits, and the film couldn't have lived up to this more emphatically. In a whirlwind of flailing limbs and soaring notes, Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor and Debbie Reynolds had the power to transform my mood for the duration of this must-see musical masterpiece. This California
0: dew is just a
1: little heavier than usual tonight. Really? From where I stand, the sun is
0: shining
2: all over the
1: place. Having been on the receiving end of the nonsense spoken about depression by the ignorant and the mean-spirited, I would never want to trivialise the condition by suggesting that my own personal method of temporary escape can be applied in the case of every sufferer. For me, relief could be found in films. For some, it may be found in sport or literature while for others such fleeting distractions may be unobtainable altogether. My love of old Hollywood has not imbued me with the naivety of its narrative formulas, and I'm well aware that for many the happy ending is harder, perhaps even impossible, to reach. It is only through a desire to spread a little hope in those who recognise themselves in my story that I share with you my own happy ending. For a long time, film was the great love of my life, But through immense good luck that crown eventually passed to another. I could never have predicted the transformative effect that the love of the right woman would have on my confidence and my happiness. For like depression, there is really no accurate celluloid precedent for the real thing. Mesmerising though his love-struck precipitation-soaked dance routine may be, neither Gene Kelly nor any of his contemporaries prepared me for what falling in love was really like. You see, singing in the rain was only the temporary escape, the long-term solution lay in finding the right person with whom to weather the entire storm.
2: Dancing and singing in.
0: Beautifully put, Andy. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. And uh, I don't know, in this room now, uh, with the people I'm with, I'm not sure it's the right time to say, I've never seen Singing in the Rain.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> of all the films you said, you haven't seen, that's the one she must <laughs>
0: Now, uh, let's uh, ski, well, it's going to be only downhill toward the ending <laughs> of this film, isn't it? Justine was pr- perhaps right, though, in some ways. Now, I, I'm, I'm reading a bit of script here, and you're going to know it's scripted when I, uh, I say the name here. And <laughs> she came to accept the end of the world, didn't she? Uh, which we know of ourselves is going to happen one day. So, is Slavo Zizek, I'm reading that, right, and don't tell me you don't know who Slavoj Zizek is. He's a Slovenian philosopher. Andy, why are you looking so puzzled? I don't, I don't know why you think I wouldn't know a Slovenian philosopher. But um, I've seen him interviewed, because this is one of the things, when you start researching Lars von Trier, you look at something, and then you get taken to another thing and another thing, and he said something in a press conference, he's done this, and there's an uh, interview for uh, the culture show here, there, there, and everywhere. And, you know, you go through the usual YouTube, click, 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 and you end up looking at a Slovenian philosopher, and actually, you know, it's time to go to bed now, Paul. Um, but he says that in that way, because you know that she's accepted it's the end of the world and you know actually she's perhaps thinking ahead with that um, that it's an optimistic film
1: that could, it's not right is it <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think I think that's an element of that I mean I know Lars von Trier talked about when he was making it that part of his inspiration was he noticed how many people who suffer from depression are calm in crises and when things are really bad they get calmer and more rational and uh I mean, in a way, I mean, because the the planet Melancholia is is what destroys the Earth in in the end, and Justine becomes more kind of rational. She takes control. She takes charge over Claire, who who doesn't deal with it as well. It is as if Justine is embracing Melancholia, literally. So in a way, it's that's as upbeat as I can make it. Yeah, we're, we're all doing our best. We're all
0: doing our best for this ending. But I, I mean, actually, it was something I, I, I found quite funny. I've even written it down here. Is that the fact they were underneath a TP made of sticks or, or <laughs> something that of, appeared to be garden cane or something like that, you know, and that was going to uh, make everything all right. Um, well, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe when it comes to it, D-Day, you know, the the, 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 the the final, the final call uh, and melancholia comes to take us all away. Um, I'm going to be searching around, scrabbling around the garden for some garden cane. I'll probably just sit in the shed. I don't know. But <laughs> the, the, there are some questions there, I suppose, that the film raises that, that, that may never be answered. And I quite like, quite like it for that. You know, all the, you know, what's the thing about the beans in the jar, mm-hmm. for example? You know, there's a whole thing about how many beans are in the jar. Is, is that something people do at weddings? Is that they, they count the
1: beans in a jar. I've never seen that before. No, I've but... seen it at coffee mornings and <laughs> yeah. fades and things but not a wedding.
0: And uh, some some people uh, on that their crazy internet because it's <laughs> it's full of uh, well, it's full of people that really need this film actually. Um is, was someone was saying something with the bridge as well the horse won't go over the bridge and the golf cart runs out of battery over the bridge. There's, there are things lying underneath here that I certainly didn't see mm. uh, that you know people have been people have been picking up on uh, and looking closely into. Um mm. so well it was an ordeal um, none of us are going to be rushing back but I don't know how did you feel were you, were you relieved at the end you, you you saw the ending and thought oh, thank heavens for that
2: I don't know I felt really odd this film does make me feel really odd anyway but there is an element of relief and this is going to sound rather strange but it's still quite a beautiful ending that planet is gorgeous mm. and I know Claire um charlotte gasborg's character says something about it looking friendly and it has got this beautiful blue color and it's very friendly looking and it's very beautiful and we've got that fantastic classical piece that prelude to tristan isolder it's a gorgeous piece of music and it's building and building it's quite theatrical and it's a magic cave it's not a teepee made of sticks it's a magic cave <laughs> and um, you know the little boy is very serene he thinks it's all magical and Auntie Steelbreaker breaker is going to you know save him or whatever she's at peace with it because it all makes sense to her the only person who has anything to lose is Claire and so she's there and she's really upset and that's the only person that you feel that there's a sad ending for yeah I'm not going to say it's happy ending that'd be crazy but it's it's not the worst thing ever so So I have to get something out of it or it gets far too down
0: okay well now you were you said some classical music there, and you, you said as if you had a bit of naus or something about it there. Uh, oh,
1: yes. <laughs> uh, way,
0: no, no, because I always stumble there. I mean, like, look at me at, at a Slovenian philosopher, and that's it. I'm, you know, I, I'm away. Um, but you've prepared a quiz for us, I you? have indeed, yes. Right, OK. Uh, now, this is all to do with uh, – is it some music quiz? Yes, it's okay. classical
2: music. Um, obviously, a lot of soundtrack is scored by specific composers, so Thomas Newman, James Newton Howard – uh, John Williams obviously people like that um, ah, now you've heard of that one <laughs> <laughs>
0: the first two I was looking a bit gormless and now uh... um,
2: but I'm, I'm massively into my soundtracks and um, classical music is often used in films and it's used brilliantly in this film obviously Wagner's um, Prelude to Tristan and Solder but it's used in a lot of films and there are pieces of music that are used a lot and I was going to test you guys on if you could name films that pieces of music had been used in.
0: Okay, well, well, this is certainly going to lift the mood. Give yes. us a Give us an out, as our producer would say. Uh, but also, <laughs> it's very much like end-of-term atmosphere. We've all paid fifty p, come in our own clothes today. So, uh, right, Rachel.
2: Okay, so headphones on, and mm. can we have the first piece?
0: This has been an advert, hasn't it?
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> But it's in a film more famously. It's in two films famously, actually. You know, are
1: you being kind, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not. I recognise the music, but I instantly went to an advert as well.
2: <laughs> I'll give you um, some clues. It's okay, some,
0: we Is, is, is it well, black and white. I'm, 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 well, I was going to say The Godfather.
2: Oh. Which part?
0: Uh, uh one. <laughs> 2 <laughs> Is it Godfather Part 3? Uh,
2: uh, yes, how did you ever
0: get that? Amazing <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Right, okay, so I think before, we should have said what, what the, the, the prize? There should be a prize here, shouldn't there? Really? I don't uh, think I'm going to win
2: one at this rate yeah. uh, This was the one I thought you'd both get
0: <laughs> A packet of crisps Okay, because okay. I, I need one for my stomach right.
2: But actually more famously, Raging Bull is- Of oh, course oh, it is, it is. yes yeah. yeah, Okay. I'm right. There.
0: You know when I said to you I'd never seen uh, Back to the Future and you looked at me aghast <laughs>
2: You're going to tell me you haven't seen Raging Bull. I've never seen (gasps) Raging Bull. Paul, series two. (laughs) Okay, second piece.
0: Is this The Godfather?
2: (laughs) It's not The Godfather (laughs) for everyone. (laughs) You've actually got six films to choose from with this one. And two quite recent ones. One
0: Oscar winning um, It sounds lovely <laughs>
2: It's one of my favourite pieces of oh, classical nice. music ever It's Beethoven
0: You're going to have to not oh, make a compilation oh, it's tape It's the together. King's
2: Feet oh. <laughs> I think a <laughs> packet of crisps is going okay. a certain no, 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 no. That's, right.
0: That's, right. that's right That's One all, is it not? Or we, I know I didn't get, no, I didn't, well, I didn't really get the first one, did I'll
2: I? I'll give you point 0.5 You can have one crisp okay. out of the packet <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh, yeah. so track number three
0: it Hard Day's Night
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can tell it Jim Carrey was in it Ooh. It's a sunshine the spotless mind? Nope. Oh. But isn't it oh, one of his more weird, serious ones? That's
0: a really good guess. Uh, Truman Show.
2: Yes! Yay!
0: <laughs> <laughs> and right. it's
2: the also, just for, those, just for those aficionados, um, it's also used in Splash, the music box that um, oh. she likes. Ah. It's that music. OK, so the last one. And you have lots of didn't. films that this is in. And if you don't get this one, Andy, <laughs> our friendship is done. <laughs>
1: More at stake than crisps. Okay, well, I was just worried about
0: telling you that I've never seen Splash.
2: <laughs> what? No. Oh, seriously? Oh. Come on! <laughs> Do you want me to give you the director? Yeah, come on. John Landis. If I give you a star of it, <laughs> I'm just giving you it. <laughs> Trading post. Oh, well, done. <laughs> well done. But you could have had Zombieland, um, Waitress, Racing Stripes or Last Action Hero. So lots um, of choices there.
0: No, I've never seen Last Action Hero, but I don't think you're going to hold that against me. No, however. I
2: won't do, no. <laughs> you have seen Trading Places though, haven't you? Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay <then. laughs> I'm not a complete imbecile.
0: <laughs> Score-wise... Um, one, uh, so uh, yeah, Andy. So I think we all discussed there, didn't we? we very clear, very clear, right from the start. Um, just like uh, an election uh, promise that uh, there's not going to get kept. Uh, is that <laughs> I think it's definitely that Andy has to buy the crypt. That's, that's, that's what. That's, that's yes,
2: I, there, I yes, I think. Right, I okay. think I said that. Excellent. Right. Okay. Uh, right.
0: Okay. If I'm going to bring us back um, to the, uh, oh, you see, we're we're on kind of a, a high at the minute. We should really end now, but uh, <laughs> let's go with uh, a, a scoring, uh, a scale we need for. Uh, melancholia, and I've decided with this one um, that because it's set in a, in a golf course. Um, incidentally, there was a 19th hole on the golf course. It's another one of these weird things mm-hmm. we think with this. It has a 19th. It's, 19th hole is normally referred to as the bar and things like that. Anyway, uh, because of this, because it was set on a golf club, Kiva Sutherland's golf club, we're going to rate it in golf clubs. So either a wood <laughs> a putter oh, no. or a nine. Iron or something, you know, something something like that. Um, I, Rachel, and I'm gonna go to, go to you first, okay. And we're not gonna edit out any silence either. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, if we need oh to day. wait,
2: I'm going to say a putter purely because mm. that's the only club that I know.
1: <laughs> Pitch and put
2: that's rubbish,
1: isn't it? Um, I'm gonna say, uh, the Pitching wedge. Oh. It's a it's a tricky it's a tricky club to use, but with a bit of experience, you you get a handle on it. Oh. Too good at these. I think we
0: need to stop doing the scales because <laughs> yeah, because uh, Andy, Andy wins Andy, them every time. Andy is too good. I'm yeah. going to say the sand wedge because it's like walking through sand. is It's like the drudgery of the walking through sand. Um, if is anyone going to watch this film again, you know, because we, I, I think perhaps some of us have seen it before. We watched it for this for this. Now I think I'm I'm probably done with it. Yeah, I'm
2: done with it.
1: I've only seen it once. I think I might watch it again if I come across it on TV or something like that, but I don't think I'll actively go out looking for it. It'll find me, like (laughs) melancholia. (laughs) Perfect.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Aaron Butcher. And if you've been affected at all by any of the issues we've discussed, you can contact MIND, the mental health charity. Visit their fabulous website. Now, that's not just something we've put on a script. It really is very, very good. It gives you direction to go, even if you feel you have urgent issues. That's mind.org.uk. Or you can call 0300 123 3393. Or you can even text them 864 63. enjoyed the show and you would like to support us you can go to our website spoilerpodcast.co.uk click on the donate button and give us whatever you think we're worth you can also sign up for a free 30-day trial with audible and get yourself a free audiobook by going to spoilerpodcast.co.uk and clicking on the audible trial banner on the left hand side alternatively if you're planning on buying anything from amazon do it via the links on our website and we'll get a few pennies commission to keep us supplied with the coffee and cake or you can help us out simply by telling your friends about us, sharing links to our show, or writing a nice review on iTunes. Now, the spoiler team are taking a short break, but when we return in the new year, we'll be catching up with the final instalment of Shane Meadows' This Is England saga. This is England 90. It's about the nostalgia, isn't it? Like, that's why we come here. If you'd like to contact us about anything else, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, and go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hoare and is a Joe Schmo production. The show is recorded at the studios of Siren FM, in the heart of the beautiful cathedral city of Lincoln.
2: There may be life somewhere else, but there isn't.